Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's Attorney Rate Podcast. Uh, we're joining you from the Global FX Strategy Team. Uh, it's Arindam Sandilya, Patrick Locke, and myself, Meera Chandan. Uh, so there's a lot going on uh, in FX markets. It uh, frankly feels very fragile and uh, very low conviction sort of state of the world as far as the dollar and broad sen- risk sentiment is concerned. Uh, but let's start with Arindam. Um, Arindam, you've been on the road for the last two weeks. You've been seeing uh, loads of clients uh, in the US and in Europe. What are the main discussions that you're having with them? What are the main client questions and concerns you've been addressing? Hey, Mira. Yeah, so when I started my trip off a couple of weeks back, uh, it very much felt like uh, the client consensus lent on the bearish end of the dollar spectrum. And since then, views have been forced to evolve. And by the end of the trip, uh, the most urgent question for most clients, as uh, you can imagine, you know, the, is the one that we are grappling with, which is uh, post-Chair Powell's speech earlier this week, you know, has the uh, U.S. monetary regime shifted uh, into a new one and whether uh, all these other central banks that had gone into uh, various kinds of pauses Will they be forced to catch up with the Fed and sort of play ball in in the weeks and months to come? Um, also keep in mind that uh, most of my trip coincided with this pre-BOJ period today. Uh, so lots of questions around the possible outcomes, both on the policy side as well as on the FX side in response to uh, BOJ action. You know, what is the balance of risks around dollar-yen if uh, the BOJ does remove YCC versus does not remove YCC? How much dollar-yen can really fall even if BOJ does remove YCC? Will there be imported demand to buy dollars and will the dip therefore be shallower than the market expects and questions along those lines? I think one question that did come up quite a bit in meetings was around um, a class of currencies that we had been flagging as as vulnerable in this uh, move towards higher rates globally, which is uh, you know the likes of CAD, Sweden, and New Zealand, where housing is a big part of the uh, fragility problem. Um, and clients are scratching their heads a little bit as to why, despite the slump in house prices, have these currencies remained relatively more resilient than they might have expected. And uh, whether those housing sectors themselves are more resilient uh, than anticipated, given the pace and extent of rate hikes that has been delivered over the past 12 months. And there was uh, some speculation that post-GFC macroprudential measures may have something to do with uh, how well, relatively speaking, those, those housing markets have held up. And then finally, one final piece of the global macro puzzle that seemed to not have very clear answers is the Chinese reopening story. And um, many clients were invested in this theme, as you can imagine, at the turn of the year. That story seemed to fizzle out around the Lunar New Year. And uh, people don't have a good answer as to why that trade suddenly went dead. And uh, plenty of questions around what will it take for the reopening trade to revive. Like us, a number of clients had long Aussie as their favorite expression in FX, uh, at least within G10 FX, as, uh, as the reopening trade. And um, you know, as we have painfully learned over the past few weeks, it's not quite played ball. But there seemed to be a wellspring of sympathy towards using that currency as a, as a reopening play. But that theme is on people's radar. And there is uh, some hope, stroke, anticipation that we could have to deal with uh, a reopening wave 2.0 uh, later on in the year. Right. So it seems like a lot of a uh, lot of questions in people's minds, a lot of them mirroring what's uh, what's going on in our minds as well. Now, are there any high conviction macro views out there? Um, give us some inspiration, Arindam. 
Uh, yes, uh, inspiration is in short supply, as you can imagine, in this market. But um, on the G10 side, the uh, one view that I heard over and over again that people seem to have some conviction in that appeared more durable than than others is the uh, stronger euro theme. You know, generally, um, uh, when you speak to US-based investors, at least my experience has been that you generally encounter uh, a reasonable amount of euro skepticism, and this was. Uh, a pleasant surprise for me where uh, a number of clients were actually uh, either thinking about or, or already positioned in higher euro sort of trades, uh, euro crosses uh, more appealing than euro USD given the murkiness around the dollar view. Um, but Scandinavians in particular came up in a number of conversations as um, appealing targets to, uh, to position for a stronger euro. And much of this uh, stronger euro optimism was centered around the outlook for the ECB, and generally it seemed like the distribution of terminal ECB rate forecasts uh, is significantly more right-skewed than uh, what we have as our house view around 375. Most of the numbers I heard were 4% or higher, and 450 was even cited by quite a few clients. And then, um, you know, second, everybody is in carry. Um, it's been the best performing factor for us in FX. Uh, and what struck me is the narrowness of the carry theme. You know, the uh, epicenter of carry is the Mexican peso. Uh, there's some Brazils and some Hungary, but by and large, most people seemed heavily invested in Mex. And uh, unlike the carry waves of the past that I've seen, um, there seemed to be a lot more thought paid into construction of carry baskets uh, in terms of the, uh, the financing legs. And the consensus was that carry needs to be financed out of Asian FX, where there is not much growth, not much value, not much carry. Uh, and CNH and Taiwan were frequently cited as as good financing legs. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting um, interesting start to that. So thanks for that, Arundham. But um, you know, the other offshoot that's come about um, from the recent repricing in central banks um, is uh, this concern on the hard landing um, eventuality, which we've been concerned about as well. It was sort of uh, top of mind for us as we were writing our year ahead outlook in November, but kind of went away for a little while, uh, but only for a little while, um, uh, you know, as, as the China reopening came into um, into focus. But now with the repricing of the Fed, I think concerns on her landing have sort of uh, gone up again. Um, Patrick, you've done some work around how the dollar and FX broadly behaves uh, going into the onset of the recession. Um what in your mind are the best ways to actually position uh, for uh, for such a recession and a hard landing? Sure, thanks, Mira. Yeah, tend to agree. People are kind of dusting off the old recessionary playbooks. Obviously, we had the Fed pivot this week, potentially higher terminal rates, et cetera. And then, you know, there's there's a lot of questions around what's going on in the U.S. banking sector right now. Pretty ferocious rally uh, in in the Treasuries. Um, we have looked at, you know, recessions pretty comprehensively in the past, and I guess I would note a few things from the FX side. Uh, you know, first is that generally speaking, the dollar tends to, to perform pretty well, both in the lead up to and in the aftermath of recessions. Uh, it doesn't hold perfectly every time, but, you know, more often that more often than not, I think being long dollars, given its anti-cyclical properties and, and safe haven demand there, that makes sense. Um, and to that point, you know, I, you mentioned it. We it was one of the main reasons we had a constructive medium term kind of bias for the dollar coming into this year. And um, you know, I think if anything, that kind of that kind of recession concern is obviously growing. And I think you know the expectation that the dollar can do well in a downturn. I think that is actually even truer now. You know, our economists have been talking more about the potential, um, you know, the fallout from a more synchronized central bank hiking cycle and 
you know, how that should lead to a deeper and more synchronized uh, potential global downturn. Um, and I think the more synchronicity there is there, the deeper it is, um, again, kind of reflecting central banks all going in the same direction at this point, uh, that should be increasingly dollar positive, uh, you know, that depth and kind of togetherness. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the takeaway number one from the study. Um, otherwise, the other kind of intuitive findings that we found um, are that currencies with strong ex external positions tend to do well. Um, so that includes the likes of Singapore, Switzerland, uh, historically yen too, although obviously, you know, that the current macro backdrop is a little bit different. Um, but lastly, I would just add that, you know, select high beta currencies uh, tend to underperform intuitively. Uh, and particularly from our space, uh, you know, Kiwi dollars, um, you know, that information ratio in terms of underperformance um, has been quite strong and steady across, you know, the last 40 years or so. So that's what I would pick out in particular. Okay. And what about some of these other currencies like emerging markets or the euro dollar? Are they good vehicles as well? Um, generally speaking, uh, we think euro dollar is mixed. It's not kind of the same traditional positive safe haven currency that that we like to that we like to highlight. Um, historically, it's had a decent external position, um, but one, not one that has sufficiently drive, dr driven kind of repatriation flows that have led to kind of that you know safe haven demand uh, for euro. So that's not one that we would pick out in general. And yes, yeah, so um, otherwise in EM, you know, aside from uh, the New Zealand dollar in particular, um, currencies like Colombia, Chile, um, the EM block generally more broadly tends to be a straightforward underperformer. So um, certainly uh, would expect that in a particularly nasty downturn, uh, which is kind of the way momentum seems to be, or at least how market participants are thinking about the potential following, you know, these more aggressive central bank bank hikes. Okay. And then what about, uh, we had the Bank of Canada this week, um, you know, so just shifting gears a little bit. Any thoughts on the Canadian dollar? I mean, they seem to be sort of really um, delinking from the Fed here. Is this is this going to be bad uh, for the Canadian dollar? I guess coming into this year, you know, we had penciled in an upward sloping dollar cap forecast with a target of about 140 in the second half of this year. And that was predicated partly on, on policy divergence. Um, we have gotten that officially now with with the BOC pause this week, uh, and generally CAD has traded on the back foot, kind of on crosses. Um, it's interesting in the context that CAD had traded very well as kind of a dollar proxy last year, um, both while the dollar was rising and also when it collapsed in the fourth quarter. Um, so, I, but I, I do think there's reasons that you know this divergence could mean that that kind of paradigm no longer holds. Um, I do think kind of some interesting bigger picture questions though. You know, obviously Canada has some well-known vulnerabilities that, you know, kind of a random uh, alluded to like household balance sheets. Uh, but, you know, some of the same issues in, in macro imbalances that the Fed is facing, the BOC is also kind of battling at the same time. So, you know, the first quarter data has rebounded like the U.S. Services disinflation seems to be stagnating a little bit. Uh, you know, the labor market data we got today remains extremely tight. Um, there's a big jump in wages uh, compared to the last month. Um, so, you know, those are factors that have made the Fed contemplate going 50 basis points soon. Um, so I, I do think it'll be interesting to see whether the BOC really can pause for good uh, or whether they have to hike again, you know, before long. Um, as it is now, the relative terminal rate pricing in markets um, is pretty elevated. It's near kind of, you know, decade extremes, post-GFC extremes. Um, essentially, markets looking for more than 
three hikes from the Fed um, relative to what the BOC is going to do. Um, and we're also kind of cognizant of around dollar CAD at the 140 level. It's only broken above there um, a couple of times. And those were dur during crisis episodes, uh, the 2014-15 oil collapse and also, and also COVID. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, um, I think the BOC is, you know, a headwind for CAD generally. Um, even if it does have to hike again, it still won't keep pace with the Fed. Um, and so I think, um, you know, having a bearish bias on CAD against, especially kind of on crosses where we're more constructive, where there's both a combination of growth momentum and central banks, you know, I think having a bearish bias on CAD against, against those currencies uh, still makes sense. Maybe with that, Mayor, I'll pass it back to you, um, just in the context of all that. Interested to hear about your thoughts on the dollar generally, um, you know, given the kind of substantial repricing we've had on the FX side over the last month and also kind of rates more recently as well. Well, Pat, um, it's fair to say that it's um, it's complicated here on the dollar. Um, I think it's a very fragile macro view at the moment. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were saying that the dollar can resume weakening uh, once we get stability in the terminal rate uh, for the Fed in March. Um, I, you know, personally, that's still, that is still my view, but, uh, you know, a shift to 50 basis points uh, from the Fed wasn't really part of the baseline. Um, I mean, it, you know, at the moment, it seems like markets are still putting in pretty decent odds of, uh, of that, um, uh, that, 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 that could happen. So I, I really do think that we have to keep an open mind here. Um, I would say that um, it's really, um, you know, as far as the dollar um, is concerned, it's really a bit of a threading the needle kind of situation, because if you do get a situation in which the Fed is having to hike more than had been originally anticipated, you know, you have those longer term odds um, uh, of a hard landing that are going up, as, as we've discussed already. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I'm also cognizant of the fact that um, that you know, China is expected to grow at seven percent annualized pace in the first half. Uh, it's expected to be a domestic recovery uh, because of the COVID reopening. Um, so you know, does it does it really matter if the Fed is having to hike a couple of bases, you know, a couple sort of extra times here, uh, given that this is very much an idiosyncratic recovery um, for China? Um, Eurozone, same thing. It's sort of unrelated to the Fed. It's basically an alleviation of the energy-induced um, sort of potential for recession that that has gone um, or that has reduced recently. So again, I, you know, I kind of put that in the same bucket as well. And I think with that backdrop, it's hard for me to kind of see an immediate sort of dollar um, strengthening scenario here. But of course, as the Fed goes, you know, by fifty basis points, and importantly, if they have to do that multiple times, that's really not part of our base case. But that's that's when you start to get into sort of the game changing territory. But at the same time, right, I think it's going to be hard for people to have a lot of conviction here right now because, you know, if the odds of an eventual hard landing um, is actually going up, then, um, you know, it, then then it seems like. Uh, you know, why, why sort of uh, position for a bearish dollar view, uh, you know, when um, when the dollar is basically paying five and a half, six percent. So um, so I think the jury's out on that and uh, we have to be quite tactically minded. And I think the next CPI report and then the FOMC uh, will probably shed a bit more light on that. But we're neutral, um, neutral at the moment, um, as you know. Thanks for that. So maybe just building off of that a little bit, you know, your Mira, maybe you can give us a little bit more on the euro. Um, you know, the growth, growth momentum that we've seen, also how that's kind of motivating, you know, the ECP's response uh, and, the, and the change of the ECP calls that we've had there. And then um, separately, we've had the BOJ overnight, a lot of expectation around what would happen there. 
Um, we got very little in the end. Uh, if you could just kind of walk us through how, how we should be thinking about yen and dollar yen at this point, that would be great. Yeah, look, the first thing on, on euro, I think it's important to recognize that the ECB is not out of the picture. In fact, um, they're very much in play. Everybody's focused on the Fed and the U.S. repricing, but actually the uh, interest rate um, pricing for the ECB has gone up commensurately as well. So if you take a look at um, euro uh, rate differentials versus the U.S., we've actually stayed at pretty lofty levels. And, you know, I think given that recent activity data has been decent and inflation numbers have been stronger than expected. In fact, their core CPI is actually decoupled from that in the U.S. I think ECB should be towing uh, a hawkish line here. And if I just look at euro dollar versus rate differentials, you know, it is undershooting. You know, I think uh, rate differentials are sort of putting euro dollar more in the 107 to 111 kind of range rather than uh, where it is at the moment. So, um, you know, I do think that there is some um, opportunity here. Uh, for uh, euro to do well um, on crosses, at least in the near term, you know, so long as this sort of energy story stays on the back burner. Um, we're recommending um, doing that through um, long euro on crosses, um, you know, taking a bullish view on euro on crosses. Uh, this is uh, versus currencies that are vulnerable to higher rates, as Arundam said earlier. I think Sweden uh, would be one of them, Norway, uh, and potentially Canada could be others as well, and New Zealand as well. But generally, that's the kind of theme that we are liking uh, quite a bit as far as euro is concerned going into um, going into the ECB. Now, um, as far as yen is concerned, look, the BOJ was uh, definitely um, a damn squib um, in a way, just given the volatility we are seeing in markets right now. But, um, you know, and obviously for yen, what will matter most is uh, U.S. rates while BOJ is inactive. But I think it's important to keep in mind is that the BOJ is still also in play. Our economists are still thinking uh, that the yield curve control change is just a matter of time. And the baseline is for June, but perhaps earlier as well. Um, and if at the same time, the odds of an eventual hard landing are going up, then, uh, you know, even if dollar yen is higher because of the U.S. Um, rates heading higher, I think cross yen should still be in play. Um, so, you know, the kind of themes you like um, as far as yen is concerned is really being sort of, um, you know, more bullish on yen versus the growth sensitive currencies that are quite vulnerable, like, again, New Zealand and, um, and the Canadian dollar. Uh, but, um, you know, taking a step back, um, I would say in aggregate, you know, neutral on the dollar, but focused um, at, in FX at the moment, you know, bullish on euro um, on the crosses pre-ECB, uh, bullish on yen on the crosses um, as recession hedges. That's more of a longer term sort of play, uh, focusing on the housing angle within DM as a real key differentiator. And, you know, we've talked about how Canada, the Scandies and um, uh, the Antipodeans are all vulnerable to that. And finally, carry, you know, Arindam spoke about carry. It's been a mainstay for us uh, for the last uh, uh, 14 months, uh, 18 months or so. But I think uh, the key issue um, for, for carry baskets, you know, they can they can continue to do quite well um, as long as, uh, you know, so long as it's just the Fed raising rates uh, or central banks raising rates, that's fine. Uh, but I think when it starts to unravel is if there's a massive deleveraging event or a massive sort of recession type growth shock. So that's something that we would be vigilant for. Uh, but other than that, I think um, the repricing of the central bank should still end up uh, fundamentally being supportive of carry. Uh, so we'll stop there. Um, take a look at our website if you need more information on our research. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information. 
including important disclosures, 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 10, 2023.